I have four days to deliver 50 cars and I have no cars. Well, that's another problem. It's another problem, isn't it? It's about me delivering 50 top-end cars because I said I would. Because if I don't, my South American friend goes somewhere else from now on. And that's not good. It's a humiliation. Because I'm the arsehole who said I could deliver. Am I an arsehole? Do I look like an arsehole? Yeah. Welcome to episode eight of I Think I Like This Movie, America's least necessary, but now fully vaccinated film criticism podcast. I am Noah Frank. My co-host, as always, is Will Vitka. And today's guest is none other than fellow baseball writer and podcaster Justin Clue, who brings us our first foray into the Nicolas Cage cinematic universe. That's right. It's 2000 action thriller Gone in 60 Seconds. Also starring a bleached and dreadlocked Angelina Jolie, Giovanni Ribisi, Robert Duvall, Will Patton, Scott Kahn, Dalton Lindo, and Timothy Oliphant, with bit roles from the likes of Ken Jenkins and Michael Pena. So rev that engine and mambo five your way through 50 ladies until we get to the good place with Eleanor. Justin, let me ask you, who the hell cares about Grand Theft Auto? <laughs> First of all... It took you eight episodes to get into the Nicolas Cage catalog. Which it's incredible. We were pacing ourselves. We were pacing Yeah, ourselves. that's what I was going to say. That's the right move. Um, and what's great about this movie is that, like, the, the Nicolas Cage, the steady repetition of Nicolas Cage movies that we now can rely on, the three to four Nicolas Cage movies you're going to get on a year-to-year basis, he is playing, you know, a character that we've pretty much defined as Nicolas Cage. This movie, he is very restrained. He is the voice of reason in, in most scenes. There, I've, I picked out three moments where he, he is the Nicolas Cage that someone from this era would recognize. But for the rest of the movie, he is a responsible, mature, uh, followable leader. And, and that, yeah, that, that, was a, that was quite a departure for me. Just watching it for that reason alone was like, okay, he, had, he made a decision here. And then his Liam Neeson era, which he's in now, is just like, how, how insane, how unhinged can I be in a movie and they'll still make the movie? Are you talking about, you're talking about like Mandy and Color Out of Space? Mandy, and I'm talking about the one where he's like on a ship and he's a big game hunter and there's all these animals that get loose and Fomka like, Jansen's around and like, yeah, the, all did, these movies. Did that start with Bad Lieutenant or like Snake Eyes? I'm trying to, to, trying to figure out like when, when did when did that era of Cage just completely, just, just we're winging it every scene Cage start? I think you can see glimpses of it like i like in this movie you can see glimpses of it you can see glimpses of it in the rock definitely um like how he talks to tony todd in that scene like you can just see there's 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 parts of him that are ready to just all the pistons want to fire at once and he's just letting a couple of them go off and then yeah i honestly snake eyes is probably a great starting point that that's yeah i would say that's probably a, when he finally let them all go off that's definitely it well it's incredible that we not only have we not considering the the sort of uh the incidental frame of this podcast because we're talking about movies that are at least 10 years old we haven't seen in at least 10 years and you know we're all in most of uh, us certainly us and our guests are in our 30s and uh that's gonna lend itself to this this late 80s to 2000 era it's it's stunning that not only have we not had any nick cage movies to this point we have not had, I've been tracking a single repeat actor in any role against, I, I've, been, I've been waiting for our first double and we haven't hit one yet, which this, like, we've had a lot of movies with like fairly big casts and I, 
Will's giving me the weird look, but Will, go to go to the Google Doc. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm thinking. I, I'm just thinking. There's like 150 actors, and we've not doubled up on anybody yet, which is kind of incredible. So, I'm although sure there is a notable mention for Shaq. Well, right. Well, we've had a lot of callbacks and strange <laughs> overlaps. I so we'll we'll get into all that. But I, first of all, off the top, you brought us this movie, Justin. Uh, we we always must start with why did you think that you liked this movie? Because it was PG thirteen. That's how I picked. That's how you picked movies. When I was, you know, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. I don't know how old I was the first time I, I was at the movies by myself with my friends, but I know that it would be easy to figure out because the movie was Battlefield Earth. And uh, I we saw that movie because it was the PG thirteen movie of the weekend. And, and that didn't yeah. turn you off from PG thirteen movies forever. Or just from just, movies forever. I just knew what my parents were going to let me go do on my own. I had a pretty good sense of that. And every weekend, if they're like, typically you're looking at the movies or the mall, basically where I grew up. And every weekend you just looked in the listings in the paper to see, okay, what's the PG-13 movie that's out this weekend? And I mean, the best example of this is probably when like Coyote Ugly came out and everybody in my grade was going to see Coyote Ugly. My parents were never, ever going to let me see that movie, which is by the way, very tame. For what I don't, I don't think I've ever seen that movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I stumbled upon it on like basic cable at some point. And I was like, why is this on basic cable? And I was like, oh, because it's basically a, it's almost a family movie. <laughs> like, there's no nudity. There's no nudity, and it's what's about, the like, point? Her relationship with her father. Like, it's yeah. not. It's right. not what it's it, like. It's it's definitely making an attempt to be what it's supposed to. But it was for us. It was for like teenage boys to be like oh, and like go to the movies. But <laughs> this is this is one of my favorite examples of this because my parents were like, you know, they had seen the trailers. The trailers don't hide what the movie is trying to be and they were like no absolutely not and so instead just to be able to go to the movies i remember me and one of my friends went to go see space cowboys which is the literal opposite of coyote ugly but is <laughs> like, also awesome james garner's teeth fall out of his mouth in that movie <laughs> coyote ugly has girls dancing on the bar like <laughs> me at 14 you know I was I was picking up all the differences. Your priorities were in the right. <laughs> <laughs> so right my, well, po my point being that, yes, Gone in 60 Seconds, I remember being um, drawn to this movie, A, because it's PG-13, and, and B, because it looked like, okay, this is actually, like, it's a PG-13 movie that I actually want to see. It's got action and cars, and, like, it'll be, and, and nothing in the trailer was, like, anything that instantly let my parents go, like, oh, no, you can't see that. It was it was fine. So that that's what drew drew me to it in the first place. And um, I think I think the reason I saw it multiple times was because eventually it came out on DVD. <laughs> so so did did you first see it on DVD? I, what, do you remember actually what your first experience was with the movie? Yeah, uh, I mean vaguely. I, I remember. I, I feel like I, I watched it um, probably by myself the first time because my family would do a lot of like, oh, we go and you know just grab a handful of movies, you know, for everybody to watch together, or if somebody just wants one individually, and that was like mine. And uh, I don't remember being particularly a great Nicolas Cage fan. And to be honest, I think he was one of the first pop, like big name actors. So I was like, I don't know about this guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like look, acting. I'm not a tra I'm not a trained actor, but I've seen a lot of movies. And like, I don't I don't know if this guy's doing as, as good a job in all these movies as some of the other ones. I have an appreciation for him now. I feel like I have a wider, you know, I'm older. So like, it's, it's easy to look back and, and just see like, OK, he has a role here. But yeah, I, I remember him being the first time I was like, hmm, that wasn't very good. That line was, that line was not very good. 
But so you, I mean, you probably saw this in the early aughts, like within a couple of years after it came out. Uh, I, this is a rare movie where I think all three of us saw it, and but it's been a long time since all three of us have seen it. Will, Will what was your experience with it? I, I think I rented it on VHS in college. And I watched it and I was like, this is, this is fine. This is okay. This is fun. That's enough. That's all I needed. You know. There's not a lot to it. No. You know? I, well, and so I definitely, I also watched this on video, like I don't, DVD video. I don't remember what exact uh, media uh, format, but it was, I saw it, I remember like at my folks house. It was before I went to college because I graduated in 01. So it was some sometime in that like, you know, 15 months between when it, when it, came out in theaters when I left for college. So it must have been pretty quickly, you know, once it was out on, on, on DVD or whatever. But uh, watching it again today, this morning, over breakfast, uh, as God intended it to be seen, <laughs> um, I, I realized, I was, I was like, you know, I, a movie I did see in the theaters when I was in high school was the first Fast and the Furious. Yeah. And it made me wish that I had seen this originally in the theaters because I'm sure that much like the original Fast and the Furious, which I don't know if you saw it in theaters, but like the the gulf between that as a theater movie and a video and like an you know on your t on your maybe forty inch TV you know uh, versus like the Dolby surround sound of the engines throttling like I'm not a huge car guy but man that just that experience. I remember we walked out of the theater from Fast and the Furious and we just like wanted to drive fast. Like you, you're just so, you, you you have the adrenaline just coursing from like the sound and the, and sort of the, you know, the experience of everything. I, I imagine that the Fast and the Furious or, or that uh, Gone in 60 Seconds would have had more of that punch to it. You know, it would have been, I would have been able to enjoy that visceralness uh, uh, having seen it in the theaters. Yeah, it's, Everyone... it's, it's really wonderful car porn. It really yeah. is. Right. Everyone drove like a maniac home seeing fast and the furious everyone uh this movie i honestly so that that was the easy comparison to make and actually i looked it up and i think this movie came out almost exactly a year to the day before the fast and the furious i think there's like a four day difference but they both were an early june release which means they were probably competing scripts at different studios maybe Uh, like just something like that was going on and um I, I, and watching it now, obviously, yeah, you make that Fast and Furious comparison, but I was like, this is Ocean's Eleven meets Fast and the Furious. I was that's thinking a, that literally the exact same thing. Yeah, and, and like, yeah, and that 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 that's a formula that should really work, and it doesn't not work, but and, it's just kind of it's just kind of like there. Just yeah. Kinda, yeah, it's fine. They, they they don't they don't develop each of the characters the way that Ocean's Eleven does. You don't care right. about each of of the of the sort of the crew. Although it's hilarious that you have an almost identical Scott Con. It's he's just like he's just gro- <laughs> he's just grosser and and grimier and not Mormon. But like otherwise, like he's basically the same character. Yeah, yes. I, I, that's part of the reason I, I that Ocean's Eleven came to mind once I heard his voice. And one thing about the crew in this is you're absolutely right. They don't even have the same character development as Fast and the Furious crew has but like exactly the same vibes they even end on like a backyard barbecue barbecue where they're like family you know like they're, they're doing that uh but like the thing about the crew in this movie is that it's so needlessly large there's no reason for both robert duvall and will Patton to be in this movie they both kind of feel that you know will Patton's maybe like more of an older brother to nicholas gage and robert duvall's a father figure but you could have combined those two guys. And Will Patton's role cracks me up because he's like, I work for the bad guy. 
but I'm gonna hang out with you guys the whole movie, right? And be a good guy. And he's in every single Jerry Bruckheimer movie. <laughs> That's the other thing. I love Will Patton. I think oh, he's, 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 great. Fine. he's, he's great. fine. One of my biggest problems with the Halloween remake was that he died in it, and I was like, <laughs> "Oh, this is this sucks." Like I wanted more of him as like a grizzled sheriff. That's awesome. That's what he's that's what he's built for. But yeah, my point being that like there's two older mentor type characters to Nicolas Cage in this movie, and you're like, "Why? Why? You could have cut right, that down." Right, right. There's a Nicholas. There's that one guy who I don't remember his name. He serves no purpose. He's the one that they're like, oh, he orders pizza. Did they write Keanu Reeves knockoff into the script? Yeah, and actually, funny enough, he is the same weirdo who is in uh, Mars Attacks, who tries to pick up, the, <laughs> pick up the daughter from the farm. That guy is like somehow seared into my brain as like <laughs> weirdo knockoff Keanu Reeves. Yeah, he's got a bunch of like little random bit roles like that. Uh, his last name is also Duval, but not spelled the same way. Uh, not not actually related. Oh my god, he's a knockoff Duval. <laughs> I have to say, because of the Fast and Furious comparison, there is actually until like the third act when he's driving Eleanor, there's a pretty stunning lack of actual car-based action in this movie like there's some chases but there's not a lot of like fast and the furious they're driving under you know the tractor trailer driving under the tractor trailer thing i remember that getting gasps in the theater even in the trailer that they did that and in this movie it's just kind of like i don't know they're driving fast on public roads but well, and, that, and well, it seems like they were saving all their they were saving the money shot you know yes. for, unfortunately for the cgi money shot which is terrible because <laughs> the rest of it's practical but mm -hmm. like those those parts when they're in the um the la reservoir system or whatever it is the la river la river <clears throat> where you actually have real helicopters flying underneath those bridges that shit was cool yeah that was really cool and you knew that they were doing it practically well but to your point about the fast and the furious like that scene i, mean, I still remember that scene I, and those were honda civics <laughs> like, like they showed, they showed, I mean, that was sort of the, the part of the car appreciation was they showed, okay, here's what these little, like, like souped up, you know, like four bangers that you add all this stuff to, you know, that you strip down and, and you can customize and do all this stuff. Like, here's what these can do in like drag races. Here's what these, like, it was, it was an appreciation for all those things. And then you get like the Mustang at the end. Like, so you sort of have this range of like why people are into car culture for different reasons. Like it, like it. It, it sort of helps as like a vehicle to explain that to the audience. Whereas like, right, we haven't, we really don't get anything about any of the other cars except like Eleanor. Like that's, that's the whole, the whole thing. And, and yeah, the only right. yeah. real like chase, uh, you know, the, the other ones are, there's like little short, you know, like the Hummer and, and like the, there's, there's other like, sh like little ones, I but there's at no least it's at least it's not as bad as the Italian job where everything is about Mini Coopers, because <laughs> that's just the worst. Honestly, I, I looked up. Uh, I was just like researching stuff about Gone in sixty seconds and realized that some of the cars on their list don't even exist. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which ones? Don't, which ones don't exist? Oh, I have no idea because like I'm not a car guy either. But some some car person went through that list and was just like. They didn't release that in that year. This isn't real. This isn't real. Like, <laughs> well, Which, I, car people are going to see that movie. You know, you got to be right. on that. Well, I, I was going to say that the thing that, that I stumbled upon when when looking through uh, kind of some, some background on this that I thought was hilarious and also has a contemporary tie. I don't know if you remember if, like 
I, I want to say a few weeks to, I don't know, a couple months ago, uh, there was a thing on Twitter where they, there was a scene from whatever Michael Bay's new movie is where they were like shooting some stunt and like a bunch of stuff blew up and a guy like didn't look like he made it out of the shot like a stunt guy like it looked like a man died and then and then so the studio was like no no this was all planned and everything was safe and we're, everyone was like listen <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to be professional to know that like that dude had to somehow squeeze into a space he wasn't supposed to be in to not get like sheared in half by a piece of shrapnel like like it was it was very clearly like a stunt that did not go well and they got away with not murdering somebody on set uh it, anyway apropos of that I, I saw this quote about about gone in 60 seconds which was that it includes a record holding car chase scene that lasts for over 30 minutes this chase scene was filmed using civilians real cops and had several unplanned major accidents that were kept in the film. <laughs> the most remarkable thing about this unique piece of automotive cinema is that, that they only used one Mustang for the entire chase. I don't think that's the most remarkable that's thing. Not... Think oh, no. There were actual accidents caused that made the final cut of the movie. Yeah, my edit would be, um, no, it's not, and also different word than remarkable. <laughs> like, terrifying might be a, a better word. And that really tanks my whole, not a lot of car-based action when you just read that there was a 30-minute car chase in this movie. So I don't know. I guess I just, my perception was off there. But well, I, I, all, I do it's think it's... all in that chase, right? It's all right, in I, I do well, think it's, we, it's we, heavy should, to that end. Should we break the movie down really quickly? Just like, plot-wise? Does yeah, it matter? Uh, yeah, I mean, right. There, There isn't much plot, uh, so it shouldn't be that, that hard to do. Um, we, we, we generally ask our guests uh, if they can uh, give, you know, somewhere between the log line and, like, five sentences worth of, 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 like, here's what happens, just in case, for some reason, you haven't seen the movie and you want to see the movie. Here's here's it. This is it. This is what happens. Sure. You, you want to give it a shot? Sure. Uh, so, Nicolas Cage retired prolific car thief in Los Angeles. Memphis reigns. The legend precedes you. Hartley tells me the best. After you left, auto theft in the South Bay area went down 47%. Where's my brother? As a little brother, played by Giovanni Ribisi, the most unlikable and unsympathetic non-villainous character I think I've ever seen in a movie, who does something very stupid, and Nicolas Cage has to return to the life he left behind, the life he promised his mother he'd never return to, the life he abandoned, the woman he loved to escape. Uh, he must return to that in order to steal 50 cars in one night to pay the debt on his brother's head, or his brother will be killed. That yeah. is, you know, that's not a that's not a log line. You would make some edits there. Yeah, but yeah. More or yeah, less, I mean, that's the movie. That's it. It, it really is it. I, I have nothing to add to that. Uh, yeah, it's perfect. <clears throat> there, there I'm, I'm serious about Giovanni Ribisi. The, the, oh my god, I know every He's character. greasy in everything. Greasy, yes. Every, from Phoebe Buffay's brother to a scientist in Avatar, there's a tinge of grease on everything. Every character he plays, and this movie, they were like, grease it up, lean into that grease. Be oh yeah, he's like jumped into weaselly. a thing of lard. Yeah, he's, he's good to go. The way he, he steals the car, his friends are like, don't do that. And he's like, I'm going to just use this brick to steal this rare car. And you're like, you are a bad car thief. I got to get my tool. Kim, he ain't bullshit. Kim, man, that's not a tool. That's a damn brick. Kim, man, we going to use a brick, man. We might as well call prison and make reservations. Oh, come on. 
You are really bad at this. It really is like the dumbest introduction to a quote-unquote professional car thief that I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, and then he flirts with that woman like an idiot. Like, he, hey, I love you. I love you're you. Like, what the hell is that? Oh, when Giovanni Rabisi comes in and is complaining that they're going to cut him and his little team out of the money they're going to make on this job, when characters have literally shown up and been like, I'm doing this for Kip, Giovanni Rabisi's character, like, so that he doesn't die. And he comes in and he's like, well, you guys are going to make money and I'm not going to make money. And you're like, dude, sh- sh- shut up, shut up, shut, shut Like, Nicolas Cage rightfully is like, you got to, can we curse on this podcast? Is that oh, yeah. yeah. Oh. Oh, okay, all right, cool. Motherfucker. So, like sit the fuck down you have n- you should not be here you should be nowhere near a car you and being near a car is what created this situation and you're you think we're here for the fucking money what the fuck is wrong with you that just that drove me nuts and then he's him and his friends are the little fuck ups for the rest of the movie like why are, mm. Uh, they, they did by the way for a PG-13 movie managed to squeeze in a motherfucker which I didn't think you could do. You get one. No, one. you get you get one F bomb. I, I, th- I thought it was. No, it's that's it's it's why this the whole thing is so dumb. Like, <laughs> like, okay, if you want to have like a uh, okay, you can't swear, whatever. No, no, the rule is you can have one. Like, it's the it's the dumbest thing. Anyway, uh, by the way, speaking of the money, I know that there's been inflation in twenty years, but two hundred thousand dollars. Like it's this whole bad. thing is over. Two, they're going to pay two hundred thousand dollars to steal fifty cars. <laughs> We're going to get to plot holes later, and um, <laughs> that's, that's, there's some. Oh holes. yes, oh. yes. Yeah, let's real quick. We were talking about Giovanni Ribisi's character, so let's let's jump into that. What, what on the rewatch here? What what character improved the most uh, in your eyes over time, and which one sank the most? I think we might have an idea on the second one. Honestly, the uh, I I couldn't come up with a great answer for who improved the most. So the the answer I I decided on was Vinny Jones, because he is great at intimidation. That's what he gets hired for. This isn't all the Guy Ritchie movies. He's, you know, being intimidating is a part of every character he's ever played. And in this movie, they were like, you don't even have to talk. And so, like, the intimidation kind of is allowed to flow freely without the obstacle of him having to act. So, like, you know, and I don't even, honestly, like, I thought that, and then I was like, he's not even really that bad of an actor. But, you know, I, I feel like that point is valid. Uh, I have two answers to the other question, which is there are times in, you know, past the golden era of Hollywood movies where I wonder, why do we think Robert Duvall is a good actor? (laughs) Because, and I hate to say that because obviously he is a legend and he's, you know, there's movies where he is the level of actor that he is interpreted to be. The movie is from like this era where he is playing, you know, where where if this had been made, which it was, it's a remake, but like if this had been made decades before, maybe Robert Duvall is playing the Nicolas Cage role. That's probably a pretty okay movie. But in this movie and others like it, where he's playing the grizzled veteran, he's just kind of stumbling, fumbling, stuttering. And sometimes it's natural, but like 
Other times you're just like, eh. And he doesn't have a ton to do. He's like, if we're doing an Ocean's Eleven thing, he's like the um, Saul from the first Ocean's sure. Eleven, basically yeah. character. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the guy, he's like <clears throat> the guy back at base. So it's like it's fine. Uh, and they got like a famous person to do that. So okay, that that was my one A. My one B is Angelina Jolie. She's actually in the movie a lot less than I remembered. Yeah, and she was a she was a big sell, obviously because it was Angelina Jolie. She's just kind of there to ooze over the scenery. And she also looks like a teenager. And Nicolas Cage is 15 years older than her in real life. So I had to go with her. Like, what was... was I, I have a comment on that. Oh, go ahead. Brought up by my wife. So apparently, <laughs> the Angelina Jolie character is totally riffing on Christina Aguilera's weirdo fake dread thing oh from, God. like, 98. Makes total 98, and yeah, they got there. My wife like literally walked out and was like, "What the fuck are you watching?" And then she was like, "Oh, it's not Christina Aguilera's haircut." What's great is that she and Vinnie Jones. I don't think they were like added in post production, but I do think that they were made of might have shot a lot of their stuff later because they they're given they both their characters have distinct musical cues which i thought was interesting <laughs> and also they aren't a part of the planning process like she goes she's she's she goes with one of them to go scout something and she's a part of that weird trivia game they play over the radio but um but yeah for the most part neither of them are ever like at the warehouse like talking about stuff and you're just like but he recruited them this is this is like they're in the movie now but they don't sh- they never show up there so it you always kind of felt like they're not absent. It's not like they were separated from the rest of the group shooting wise, but they don't appear in a lot of the big group stuff. Well, Jolie as a character doesn't actually, I mean, she shows up briefly while uh, Cage is trying to recruit her at the bar, but she doesn't actually come in as a character until an hour into the movie. Yeah. Does she I, even steal a car in the movie? I mean, she helps. It, there's the scene. There's the scene where the couple. She grinds a gear shift. Well, there's the, the couple screwing and they're off together to steal that one car. But like, I, I don't, I don't know that if we actually see who takes it. She's there for emotional support. Yeah. Well, but I, I'm, I'm curious if she was a late ad in terms of, of, of like the roster, uh, because we talking about sort of, I'll just not to get too far into the continuity errors, but. Uh, there's the whole setup is that they were like lovers and like very tied six years ago she's 24 when this film is shot right like i don't know that she was that they were supposed to have somebody that young in that role like it almost feels like like she got slid in and then like the script was already written and you know what i mean like it it just like six years (laughs) you can do the quick math backwards on 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 everything it's uh it's not real it's it's the Uh, indiana jones versus uh marion problem yeah, it's it, yeah. we're right there. It's not good. It's not good. I, I, they're assuming that like the teenagers going to see this movie aren't doing the math like that, and also didn't have you know instant access to how old every actor was, and you know they, they, that doesn't make it like better. But that is cer- most certainly what was going on. But they were like, who? If you brought that up and be like, hey, she's like a lot younger than him. They'd be like, what the hell are you talking about? We live in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like a Linus Morissette syndrome where she was dating Dave Collier when she was seventeen or whatever it is. <laughs> well, we uh, it's obviously something we run into a fair amount in the re- reviewing movies from this this era uh, and time period. Um, 
I uh, well, real quick, do, did you have uh, specifically um, uh, characters? I really, I actually appreciate the Timothy Elephant character more now. I think after seeing Santa Clarita Diet, where I was like, okay, he's like a goofball. Because my first introduction to Timothy Elephant was Justified, and I thought he was just going to be like a hard-ass kind of dude. But seeing this after having seen Santa Clarita Diet, after having seen Justified, I was like, all right, he nails the comedic timing pretty good. And his plays off of uh, Delroy and Lindo are, are, are great. Like, especially when he talks about how Delroy's wife is a, you know, she can be mean. There's a lot of, like, really funny Timothy Elephant missteps throughout the film, and I, I enjoy them. The added dimension of the two of them is a really, it, it wasn't, it probably wasn't necessary, but. It's very good. It was good. Very welcome. Yeah, a very yeah. welcome dimension to the movie. Uh, Will, so what character uh, sank the most uh, in your eyes upon the rewatch? Probably Angelina Jolie's character. It didn't make a lot of sense. She has that interaction with Nicolas Cage earlier in the bar, and she explains that she's working two jobs because blah, 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 blah. But she just shows up at the at the pier later on a motorcycle and is like, I'm doing this for Kip. And everyone's like, all right, cool. Hooray. And it doesn't, it, there's no connective tissue. She's going to help so much by stealing no cars out of 50. Well, and I mean, there's there's so much, so many of the characters are so thin. Like, that's the thing. Like, none of them are, are particularly deep. Um, for me, like, the, the one that stood out watching on the, on the rewatch was the villain's just so cartoonish. Like, he's, I'm not, like, I'm never scared of him. He's supposed to be, like, super intimidating. Like, he doesn't, like, we've talked about this with other with other films. Like you don't see him do something that would be intimidating that where you're like, oh, this guy means serious business. Like there's not he relies on henchmen for everything. He's just He's not like, in the movie. He's yeah. he's not he's at the beginning and the end. He's not in the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Right. His presence isn't felt uh like looming o- over anything. Yeah, it's just I don't know. In his whole right, the whole like I don't like baseball thing and like like I, I don't is that supposed to be Fuck tough? that guy. Like yeah, I don't like <laughs> they call him the carpenter because he makes wooden stuff. You never see him do it, but like there's some chairs around. Yeah, you see him sanding shit occasionally. Right, but like that's not like a badass hobby. <laughs> he's, he's not like, you know what he should have done is put somebody into a wood chipper. Like that would have yeah. been a great overlap of those two things. I've, yeah, mesh him with Ron Swanson, except uh, very homicidal. There yeah, you go. He, that, he there's your villain. Him. Coffin. coffin. He builds coffins. Right. Sure. But build, but build on the coffin thing. Like, right? Like, this isn't his first coffin. This is his 50th coffin. The other ones are all in use. Like, some, you know, I don't know, something where you're like, oh, right. Like, you kill people for a living. Yeah. Call, they call him Coffin Nail. And then, you know, show him, <laughs> show him, show him smoking and, and building stuff in a wood shop. You know, when they were handcuffing Giovanni Ribisi into the car near the beginning uh, to be smashed, potentially, uh, A, I was rooting for that to happen. <laughs> and B, um, for a second, before you realize who is in the car, I thought, oh, this is going to be, this is like a shot of like some random dude who failed him being smashed to death to indicate, oh, this man is evil and capable of killing people. He means business. You don't, do you, you don't see him kill somebody in the movie. No. Nope. Right? Yeah. Nope. So it's a very yeah, it's a very anemic villain. Yeah. And he's he's not like at the, especially at this point like we I think at, by now how do you say is it Christopher Eccles, Eccleston? I think it's 
You know what? Actually, I just you just made me doubt myself. I think it's Eccleston. He's like famous for he was Doctor Who, Thor: The Dark World, and hating it, hating being in that movie, and, and like Doctor Who. But he was like a very brief Doctor Who, right? Yeah, like, like he, one he, season, I think. So like he he's not famous in this movie, I guess is the point. And if you he was also the asshole in Twenty Eight Days Later. Right, and like he's he's a great asshole actor. Like he plays, <laughs> he can play an asshole very well. But uh, when he's not like super famous, he's not going to command the screen. People aren't going to be like, "Oh, right. that guy's in this movie." And when you just bookend him for being in the beginning of the movie to intimidate the main character and the end of the movie to fight the main character, there's there's just nothing there. That that, that means nothing to me. That that means nothing. Yeah, no, you're right. Eleanor is a bigger antagonist than the antagonist. <laughs> Man fights car. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back. Talking about Gone in 60 Seconds, which you can watch free on the Roku channel with ads uh, or stream for a few bucks in lots of places. And we're doing so with Justin Clue. Justin, do you want to tell the people what you've got going on uh, and where to find your work? Absolutely. I, uh, I write for Baseball Prospectus. Uh, I, I write features for Fangraphs as well. So I, I pop up in a lot of baseball places. Uh, but also, yeah, if you're a Philadelphia sports fan, that's kind of where the rest of this is headed. So if not, you can tune out. But um, yeah, I'm I'm part of a team of podcasters at The Good Fight. We, we do uh, Hit and Season, Continued Success, and The Dirty Inning. All podcasts talking about the Philadelphia Phillies, what they're up to now, what they're up to 10 years ago as we chronicle the anniversary of the 2011 team that was the best team in Philly's franchise history until they lost in the playoffs in the first round. And The Dirty Inning, which is, uh, which is a historical narrative podcast where we go back and look at the dumbest, funniest, and most obscure innings in Philadelphia Phillies history and just tell the whole story about how that took place. So that is what I get up to. Well, uh, the Phillies uh, bring us actually, interestingly enough, uh, into the soundtrack of this movie, because we have a very strange connection, you and I, other than the fact that we both write for Baseball Prospectus, through the soundtrack of this movie, which I did not realize until I was watching it today. Uh, the very first song after the credits, and it, by the way, it's very it's very strange that this movie, there's no cold open. We're so used to like cold open sort of scenes, just goes straight into the credits. It's not something you see much anymore. Um, but immediately after that, that opening credit sequence, what comes blaring through, but Flower by Moby, which is Bryce Harper's walk-up song <laughs> and has been Bryce Harper's walk-up song since 2012 when he came up with the Washington Nationals when I worked for the Washington Nationals. So we are we are tied through Bryce and through the Nick Cage cinematic universe and Moby and all which is also the name of Will's dog. Which is, I mean, just It's all connected. It's all connected. Right. Well, I did not know where you were going with that. <laughs> and uh, you got there. Congrats. That's... Did you notice did you notice no, that today? No, oh I did my not. god. I, I, I shot up on the couch. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> we got I, I haven't heard that song since like 2013, probably, you know? Uh, Just choking on your cereal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, it, I, I thought that was hilarious. And this movie is filled, it is, it is extremely contemporary to the time as being the kind of movie that is filled with a ton of 
you know, modern music that's meant to sort of broad range of music. It might be the only movie to have both Method Man and the Crystal Method on its soundtrack. Um, yeah, what else did, did you guys notice about the soundtrack? Uh, I, I felt like it was one of the things that made this an artifact of the times. Uh, my one of my colleagues, Liz Rocher, and I were, were we we recently reviewed um, Fever Pitch, um, and that came out in the same like era time wise as this movie. And she she made the point that I think what we'll remember about the early aughts is that it made absolutely zero contributions to the cultural zeitgeist as a whole. And you're like, yeah, uh, maybe uh, you could. I'm sure drum up a, a bunch of examples of things like, well, no, we actually still blah, 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 like fine. But when We're you still think fighting about the Iraq war, <laughs> there you go. See? And so, but like if, if uh, there wasn't a lot of permanence, I think two of the things that were popular back then, and that's probably true for every era, but I guess probably because we were growing up then it's easier to look back and think like, Oh, we don't do any of that anymore. Um, so I, I I think the like the fashion and some of the some of the stuff they like they the dialogue is definitely of the era, but nothing is more of the era than the music in this movie. Absolutely. And I I the one of the first things I remembered when we said we were gonna do this movie was the sequence in the parking garage where DMX's uh where uh, the Yeah. R.I.P. And also just that like it felt like they needed they wanted a moment to put that song in the movie. Because right. it's just like, okay, it's like two definitely not main characters having a sequence that is not really a part of the plot, just there to make the movie longer and funnier. Well, one of the movies that, that I'm both uh, excited and terrified to have somebody bring to this podcast because I absolutely liked it at the time is uh, uh, National Lampoon's Van Wilder, which mm-hmm. is a, an extremely of what you were just talking about, like early aughts, just complete piece of trash. I've, I've but, never seen it. But then I... I, I for sure enjoyed when I was a freshman in college or whatever it was when it came out. Uh, but it was a movie that was like literally built around like a Sum 41 song, a Sugar Cult song, and like three other like pop punk songs. Like, like it was like just like jammed. The soundtrack was just, it was like, oh, well, we'll, we'll just fit these wherever. Cause like, <laughs> you know. Well, I, th- I think that was the approach to this soundtrack because whatever dipshit. It- this whole era of movies was like that. They were like, but like, they, but they so were, they movies. were smart enough to end it on a George Thurgood song. So like, and that's like a timeless kind of thing. But like, yeah, the the first ninety percent of it is front loaded with this EDM crap that nobody cares about. And then, well, not even, yeah, not even EDM. Like our precursor, our like precursor, our, like a, electronic, uh, you know, garbage house music that beep, we grew up beep, with. Beep, beep, beep. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing anybody cares about at all. That's um, calling all freaks didn't make it into this movie. Is... <laughs> but they use it in Blade Two. Yeah, yeah. They use That's that in Blade the one two. I know it from. Yeah. <laughs> Just no, awful. no, no. Let the bodies hit the floor. I mean, come oh, on. What are we doing? Yeah. It was a cooler movie. It's a it's the Ocean's Eleven influence. They were like, we're going for a smoother, calmer, cooler demeanor than like. A blood shower followed by a katana battle. I'm I'm waiting for wah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you mentioned that opening credit sequence where that um uh, that first song plays that I I immediately thought of when and I, forgive me for being musically illiterate, but um that was I thought of that immediately when we again talked about this movie I was like I remember that song that's the first time I ever heard that song and that was like oh this is like a good song and it also gives you 
all of the context for everything that happens before the movie. Because I know this is a very common cinematic narrative thing where they're like, this movie takes place after a very interesting thing has happened. And it is, but like, it is also interesting. And that's like something you're supposed to do is tell the story of the main, the most interesting part of the main character's life. And it, you know, I don't know. It's tough not to wonder what the movie that is about a younger middle-aged Robert Duvall coaching young Nicolas Cage, G. McBride, and all their friends who are dead or imprisoned by the start of this movie into being like car thieves and stuff. And well, Giovanni Ribisi is just a toddler who's barely in the movie. Right. I, this is kind of like a Raising Arizona situation where like you want to see how they got to, to the mm-hmm. fucked up place as opposed to Oh, we got to get this idiot that we never see. Right. Because uh, Chris Eccleston isn't the, isn't the top dog. He's just, he's the middleman. Right. So like, who's this asshole in South America that we're giving these cars to? It's and uh, I, I honestly forgot their mom was even in the movie. They kept bringing her up and I was like, oh, we never see her. Why we do they keep bringing her up? We see her, her for a hot track? second. But then we, <clears throat> we do. We meet her and then she is not. You think she, they would have gotten her into like the cookout at the end. Just as just loop a- anything. Yeah. <laughs> bring it. Bring it. Bring it the fuck all together. No, nope, She's just like they, they should have like, cut to her working like a third shift at the diner while they're all at a cookout together. <laughs> <sighs> Scraping these scrapples. <laughs> a depressed Delroy Lindo who didn't get a promotion because he let. Nicholas Cage go inexplicably at the oh, end of the movie. I do like how he just says, I'll take care of it. <laughs> like, eh, it's fine. Whatever. Just getting another cup of coffee from the mother of the guy. He it's know. the LAPD. We're just, we're just scraping another body off the floor. It's fine. <laughs> well, I mean, that that leads us into either or, but I, why, don't, why don't we go with the, the most glaring plot holes and continuity errors? We've talked about this a little bit. I, not even continuity errors so much as just like the gaping like lack of of <laughs> of tying any sort of a reason between actions in in this movie uh who who wants to dive right in here there's plenty to get to i have so many problems well i have like three specific ones the uh <clears throat> bad asian woman driver thing that's really I have that yes. and and the gay slur they use as right. two things yep. that really date this movie. Yeah, yeah. those are those are uh, and that we can get into more of the sort of of the time and era references. Yeah, those are those are for sure like like peg this to oh right yeah. Uh, but what, what what about just like just like actual storytelling issues or or directorial choices or stuff like that? Well, again, the Angelina Jolie thing where she's like. I don't wanna. I don't wanna. And then, forty-five minutes later, she's like, "I'm doing this for Kip." I thought about it, <laughs> like really, really hard. Um, so I, I have a couple. It, it depends on like you know what your definition of plot hole is. You could go with something like, "Why don't any of the cars have alarms on them? They just seem to need to know where they are, and then they just get them." I, I, um, they did. They, I'll give them credit. They did cut one or two alarms that, like, that they triggered and like. They, they, they do show like blowing out the the lock mechanism. That's fair. The and then they have the connect to get the laser cut keys and everything. So they right. do, they do somewhat cover that. Uh, a little broader one is how does a British crime lord who spent time in prison even get into the United States? It's kind of worth mentioning, just, but just, I think just doing his thing. Thanks, Obama. The main ones for me are a. Nicolas Cage starts the movie having, like we said, abandoned his life of, of being, again, the most 
prolific and apparently famous car thief in Los Angeles history. Right. It's not it's not just Los Angeles, it's fucking Long Beach. Long Beach. Even even better. Even more to my point here, which is that <laughs> what county line did he cross where car stealing was no longer a crime and the cops were like, ah, we can't touch him. That guy. No, you, no, you're not allowed to extradite from Riverside County. It's not <laughs> he's not in like witness protection or something. He's just himself somewhere else he, he looks in like the he's same like in, state. Yeah, he's in like Palm Desert or something. Like, you can see the mountains in the background, like probably not from the city side. Like, but, I mean, he's, but he's working with the kids, Noah. He's working yeah. with the kids. Right. Which and is also has $10,000 later. That's all the movie wants you to know. Yeah, that he's got $10,000 from working at a children's go-kart track. Uh, and also that, um, yeah, that he was just for some reason not still arrested by Delroy Lindo, who wants so badly to arrest him, but apparently couldn't, even though they could pretty easily figure out where he was. But more so, I think, to me, is the idea that a criminal who, like you said, is only requesting 50 cars in, like, I think he requested in a week, but they only wind up doing it in a night because they need all that extra time. Um, he needs all these cars stolen or he will be embarrassed. <laughs> not killed. Not like any, He will just be embarrassed. Like, the idea that he needs... Well, his, kid, his, kid, his kid brother is going to die. He, no, 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 I mean, no, but the villain, right? The oh, villain sorry, sorry. Will sorry. be embarrassed by the again the the South American uh, boss that we never see or or hear from, and that's only part of this. I'm just saying he needs all these cars stolen, and and they wind up being stolen, and, and he succeeds. He brings him all fifty cars in a single night, and one of them has one rearview mirror broken on it, and because side of that, view. he's like side view. Sorry, side view mirror broken on it, and because of that, he's like. You brought me 49 and a half, not 50. And you're like, if you're worried about being embarrassed, motherfucker, you can, you work at a fucking scrap yard. Well, that shit back on and hey, the South American guy's gonna fucking love you because you stole 50 cars in a week. Why the fuck is this a problem? I mean, yeah, there's I'm, no explanation of why these 50 cars, like this very strange, eclectic list of cars, and the most, they talk about the most rare one being this Shelby that he gets last, and they just, it, right, it's got a little body damage, and they literally just trash it. Like, it. I found that fucking physically offensive. But, all, but also was... just like, 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 even if you're not a car person, I, as a as a writer, find it offensive because if this was the most important thing, like, what do you do? Like, I it instantly devalued the entire premise, right? Like, if these cars yeah. don't matter, right. what are we doing here? They do a great job of playing up the importance of Eleanor, and she's not in a lot of the movie, but she take that car chase is the best car chase in the movie. It's, 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 it's a important. Great car chase car chase it's a great car chase and she's a beautiful car and i honestly love that the the idea of like oh they give they give each car a a, a woman's name i was like that ah, yeah that's like a fun that's like a fun little gag and that like one of them is as donnie streaky calls it his unicorn so you immediately know what the, what he's talking about and you're like oh this is like a fun concept she's like a mini boss in the movie but and, but, yeah, but, so, going, so but going back to yeah, I'm sorry, sorry, just real quick, going back to what you were saying before about, about the fact that the detective lets him go, like, Nick Cage is his unicorn. There's a beautiful parallel there, but then, like, he just doesn't, he just, like, yeah, okay, no, you're, 
you're good. You oh, saved yeah. my life by kicking this dude into a Terminator 2. Situation. I mean, what was Nicolas Cage going to do? Kill Delroy Lindo and then be killed by the it's crime just like lord? The, the, like... I, I, the problem is that the, the conflicts are really anemic. The, the the crime boss is like, I'm very British. It's like, okay, so you're the British bad guy. Nick Cage is going to do the thing to save the little brother. And Delroy Lindo is clearly never, ever going to catch Nick Cage. So you end up with a situation where it's like, ha <laughs> ha. Ah, you're Nick Cage, aren't you? Okay, you go do your thing over there. I'm be over here cleaning up. But like, it does. There's no, no conflict really. I mean, the dialogue is fun, but it's, it's really not bad. And honestly, I mentioned that the 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 um, Delroy Lindo and Timothy Oliphant are like a fun dimension to the movie. Yeah, yeah. but they, but they don't get any closure. Like he lets him go, and so you're like, the whole point is the movie is that he, he he chases his unicorn the whole movie, and then just lets it go, and like, is that supposed to show growth it, in him? It, no, it, this... it, it should it should have had like one quick scene between yes. Delroy and Timothy Oliphant, because we know that Oliphant is kind of a fuck up, right? From the the wife conversation yeah. way earlier on, if Delroy is looking down at the body of the dead British guy and and Oliphant come like hops into the scene and Delroy looks at Oliphant like get a spatula or something whatever and then like just sort of like quickly passes it down then we have a, a closed loop that would have been a great moment because it would have been like okay these two who have not you know they've been good police partners but they have not been personally super close maybe they're like okay so what the whole point yeah, of the story like was for little, them just a little thing was it made them closer together as people? Or the more I think about it, a scene, just a real quick scene where Delroy Lindo is like ordering coffee from Nicolas Cage's mother at the diner and doesn't know that it's his mother. And she doesn't know that he's who he, and they both yeah, are like talking about the same thing, but don't realize it would have been great. That yeah, been, again, that it's like great. a tiny, tiny thing to close the loop. Like, so mm-hmm. you have, I like, I like the coffee scene idea. Also like if Delroy is looking at this broken British idiot, <laughs> On the, on the factory floor, and he just tells Elephant to get him a coffee and a shovel. You know, like there you go. That closes the loop. We're gonna and, be corrupt cops and, together. And Elephant's just like, "All right, looks messy, sure." And then he just walks off scene, and then you cut the credits. Like there you go. Can I just say though that also this is one of so many Delroy Lindo roles where you're like, you deserve better. You don't have. You don't deserve to have been. De- like Delroy Lindo is great. He's great he's, in all of the uh, Elmore Leonard movies for sure. Yes, he's taking this role. He's taking this movie more seriously, I think, than anybody. Yeah, yeah. He's no. He's he's very very into it. Like <laughs> Olafant's kind of cruising along, but like they, it works. Like that that sort of dynamic works. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and then about half the other people are about half checked in. <laughs> yeah, yes, and that's the thing. Like, was was Nicolas Cage making a choice to be more res- restrained, or right. was he just not super into the movie? Well, he does. He does do like. <laughs> okay, let's run. That did, thing. Did, the square. Yeah. Right. Right. Just I wanted the, to the let's roll. Yeah. I wanted to give you the three moments where he is playing a Nicholas. He is Nicholas Cage. Uh, like like I mentioned, and one is the first one is when he is pretending to be a snooty guy buying. <laughs> Or, or just finding out more information on a scouting mission. When he is playing that, when he's just like, and Saturday night is the loneliest night of the week for me. Like, that is very Nicholas Cage. It's pretty great. The the one line in the scene where he gets trapped in the diner, that, the again, makes no sense because, like, ha-ha, 
there's cops in here and you can't come kill us as though like they would have busted into the diner and gunned them down in front of everybody if the cops weren't in there like that is also very you probably wouldn't do that uh and also by the way in that scene the cops rolling up on the black gangsters and saying with their guns drawn and saying like oh you boys don't have permits for those weapons do you in this day and age you're watching that scene like oh no those guys are dead those guys are dead. We've 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 talked about that, especially with uh, Steel, which we watched yeah. uh, last time, where the LAPD somehow finds a way to not murder a tall right. black man in armor. A seven foot one, three hundred fifty pound <laughs> black man in armor. Oh god. Uh, and then the third one is at the end where he's like, I just where he's complaining about the thing that I'm complaining about. Where he's like, I just stole 50 cars for you. I'm a little tired. I'm a little white, and he like freaks out. And, That's, like, he, yeah, he gets close. He gets yeah. the close to full cage. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like it's like 60 percent cage. Right, right, exactly. I, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but this really stuck out to me. Uh, they use it as sort of it was like a MacGuffin uh, where they, you know, having written all the the car names on the wall in black light ink and, and whatever like that's like who is that dumb like i get that that supposed to be covered up but like I, all i could think of is stringer bell being like are you taking notes on a criminal conspiracy like what, what are you doing you're literally listing every single thing that you're going to steal on the wall of your like layer of your garage, like like what I I just I couldn't get over that. Like I I get that the, it was supposed to show that like they used it to show that the detective was smart enough to piece together like why they, they would, but but just the act itself made no sense. Like why these guys and they do it throughout the movie. They're taking notes left and right on chalkboards on like he he sees them like taking notes on the police. Uh, uh, units that are going to be on that night. Like, stop writing stuff down. What are you doing? The stuff is in there to make Delroy Lindo look smart, but it also makes them look so stupid. And in the in the Blacklight stuff, it's that computer hacker guy and Scott Kahn. So you almost think like, okay, but, but it's because they are that stupid. But then Will Patton is also there, and he works for the main bad guy. So why the hell would he let them write shit on a wall like that? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Black light isn't a coat. You just need a light bulb to see it. (laughs) He literally has a light bulb come on to figure out, oh, right, that was a... That was a particular type of glass. And if we just do that, we'll see the secret. I got this from Spencer's Gifts. Right, this is, two, this is 2000. <laughs> Go to any teenager's dorm room in America and you can get yourself a black light. Like, yeah, anyway. It's very, 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 very bad detective work. <clears throat> uh, also, just like, this is a weird choice. I don't know what the, the purpose, I maybe this is like a car thing that I don't get, but throughout that last car chase scene the one thing that kept like kind of taking me out of it was you usually see them like go to the gear shift to like you know oh we're popping up a gear they kept going to the floor and showing <laughs> his feet around the brake pedal like, yeah it was kind of weird he like was like avoiding feet, the clutch one, yeah it's like one i don't think he was avoiding the brake it was like one foot on the gas one foot on the clutch but I well, was like, also they showed they, they no fewer than five times they cut to a to a quick and i was just like what am i i don't understand like I had a broken 88 Acura Integra when I was in college, and if I if I let the, the 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 revs go down too far on it, it would stall and it wouldn't restart. And so I had this little dance that I had to do, where I had to to do the little two pedal thing, and like I had to I had to jump 
onto the gas with my right foot and the brake with my left foot as I was slowing down to keep the gas up so that it wouldn't stall. And then I had to do jump back and, you know, it was, it was this little, this little three pedal two foot dance in order to keep the engine higher than it's like idle. Uh, so like, I have an appreciation for how things can work there, but I just, it made no sense. Like, well, I didn't, the, the, it didn't add tension or like, uh, no, it was, storytelling it, it, it was goofy, but they, the, but they, in the in the writing, they actually did totally fuck up. Um, during the sex scene, uh, they're talking about a straight inline six, and he, uh, Nicholas Cage, butchers it. And he's like, "Ah, oh, we've got a something other inline six, like that." There's the terminology is just wrong. Yeah, it's just like totally. Wrong. This is car porn, but it's not the best car porn. Right? Yeah, it's not written by car porn enthusiasts. <laughs> I, as a car porn enthusiast, <laughs> would like to point that out to our listeners. Right, but but to those of us who saw it because it was like a quote unquote action movie, we're not going to pick up on that. But your point is your point is super valid because, like I said before, car people will be drawn to this movie because it's like, hey, cars, 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 cars. Come see this movie. It's got cars in it. <laughs> yeah, and it is Fast and Furious era, so makes sense. It tracks. We talked about a little bit of, of the era. Uh, what are what are uh, the things that we saw in this movie that extremely put it into 2000? We talked about the soundtrack already, but what what, what about some things that we actually saw within the movie that, that were, you know, just just threw you back into this time period hacking the mainframe oh that's a good one that's a good one yeah nobody ever says the the dmv mainframe and and find out all the information we need okay great check that box that's done yeah great that's 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 the big one i Um, i i thought there was a hilarious uh like we still see product placement in, in oh my god but, but this one was so blatant I, I don't know if i've ever seen one that isn't like tongue-in-cheek this blatant like like josie and the pussycats where like the whole thing is like a joke about how product placement it is but like <laughs> will Patton goes i need something cold to drink and they and they cut to him and and he just rotates the pepsi bottle to the to the camera <laughs> i was like Really? <laughs> okay. I, I guess a glass I bottle Pepsi as yeah. Nicholas Cage just had on hand. So right. He's like, oh, an adult man said he needs something cold to drink. He obviously means a soda. Right. Yes. <laughs> he, he means he means this very particular soda, which again, the bot the, like the label wasn't facing the camera, and he like slowly reveals it <laughs> to the camera, like as he's delivering his next line. A producer's off screen, just going like. turn it turn it it around um i I don't know a lot about fashion but is nicholas cage going into a box getting out his old leather jacket and coming down the steps like a badass so it's not fucking leather leather for one oh my bad my bad my bad wait you're saying it's fake leather or you're saying it's something else it's like a gross rubber looking thing it is definitely looks more rubber than leather that (laughs) yes that is true uh and i felt like that has to be some sort of like thing that Jerry Bruckheimer was like, this was going to take us from. Oh God, we, we didn't even we didn't even talk about the fact that this is a Jerry Bruckheimer joint. Because when you watch it and there's like chanting in the soundtrack, you you just know you know you know there's going to be Robin's <laughs> nipples all over the place. <laughs> that that reminds me of something that I forgot to mention during the soundtrack. Which I don't know if you caught, but I I actually audibly laughed. Uh, the at the moment when they're in the car and they're having that awkward like 
car-based uh, sort of you know banter leading into when them. When she's like, talking about the gear shift. Yeah, literally the song in the background right before they kiss is going kiss, kiss, kiss. I, I swear <laughs> to God, I swear to God. Go back and listen. I I already hate it so much. <laughs> that it's, sucks. It's so bad. I, I don't even know what the song was. Like it was like from a song, but they like lined it up so that so that that would hit right at that. And I was just like, really, guys. The yeah, I mean, what, the, what about they, to kiss? What, what they should have done is like, play? baby, you should drive my car. Baby, you should drive my car. I mean, anything that's sense. anything that's just not that obvious. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, clearly uh, the three of us should direct and write and star <laughs> in every single movie about cars. <laughs> All of us being car experts, R- right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, the walkie-talkie phones uh, was was a thing that I noticed. The sort of like walkie-talkie options on the cell phones—they <laughs> were sort of that felt like a very sort of in that weird uh, moment in time. Uh, we've talked in several other episodes here about the depictions of Gangland LA, which Justin touched on <laughs> earlier. It, just the sort of like just bad, just bad. Yeah, the, the the idea that everything is lawless unless it isn't, you know, like the the default is is just that there are these that, that Michael Pena's gang controls this hood, and then the other gang controls the like it's just just everything is is gang. Unless like, unless you're thing. Shaquille O'Neal or Michael Pena. <laughs> Right. Noah, it's, do you want to pick up the Michael Pena? Yes, speak, speaking of Shaquille O'Neal, uh, right, uh, funny because we obviously had a Shaquille O'Neal movie in episode seven. Uh, right, Nick, Nick Cage, for his reason that he's back in LA or Long Beach, uh, is that he thought he'd catch a Lakers game. I heard we got Shaquille. I thought I'd catch a Lakers game. Heard we got Shaquille. <laughs> guys want to go? hilarious in so many he doesn't even say, say Shaq like why why wouldn't you say Shaq why wouldn't you say Shaq even if you're not a basketball it's, fan it's the, you it's, probably just know him as Shaq. yeah it's literally just like the whitest Shaquille O'Neal it reminded me of when Conan O'Brien went to Ireland and was he went to a classroom of school children and was like this is our one of our most famous Irish Americans Shaquille O'Neal <laughs> 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 Fantastic. Uh yeah, right. Like I, I I can't imagine Shaq had trademarked his name or something. I, I just like it, right, it just it made no sense. It's uh, just not a sentence someone would have said. No. <laughs> no. Let's let's get into uh, looking at, at this movie. You know, it, it's it's been 21 years. Um, is this the kind of movie that that you could see getting made again today? Well, the Fast and the Furious comparison makes it clear that yes, this movie could be made today. This could, if the Fast and Furious franchise, they would never do this. But if they decided to go smaller. And more, you know, if, if you if you compare it to the MCU where people or Star Wars where people are like, okay, we've seen the broad scope of all this, we've seen the universe threatening menaces. Let's let's do some self-contained smaller stories that where the stakes are lower, but the movie can still be good, the story can still be good. And if the Fast and Furious franchise ever did that, which they again, that's just not what they do. They they just bigger, 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 bigger every time. 
they're going to get to space. It's I think they are. Happen. I think they literally are. Yes. Space. And I think based on the preview that I saw. Yes, that's right. Yeah, exactly. It was inevitable. Right. But if they ever wanted to do a smaller contained spinoff story, this would be a great story for that. One of them has to steal 50 cars in one night, which is a, which would be a challenge for them. Even as much as, as that, as insane as that franchise has ballooned, that's still a, a crazy challenge to put put down for them uh like to just put the time frame in such a small amount that like okay he's got to steal 50 cars in one night that that's a movie that's that's that is something and the tough part is if it's not a fast and furious movie that it almost seems pretty low stakes compared to fast and furious so i started thinking about like they how they wouldn't do that so you would almost need a different franchise or you know a movie trying to be a franchise to like try and set out and try to do that and it just reminded me of that like that movie biker boys that came out at around the same time because they were like this is going to be our different thing it's going to be that but bikes or you know so they would have to do like it's it's that but boats or that but planes or, or something you know trains <laughs> a trains version of fast and furious like Something like that, it could work. But I mean, you could find a you could find a place for this. I think somewhere today, just because Fast and Furious has set the bar that like vehicular action is is a thing. People will go see that. They want to go see it, and they don't care that it's stupid. They actually love that it's stupid. Yeah, I, I'm more afraid that it feels to me exactly like. I mean, it's already a remake, but it feels to me like a movie that they would just remake instead yeah. of instead of trying to like like that they would just they would completely reboot the whole thing over again and i don't know maybe they'd do it better and maybe it'd be you know closer to oceans 11 and to where it to where you felt a better connection to, to the ensemble cast and everything um but or or they or they would try to bring everybody back because it's our very first episode is demolition man and evidently they're they're greenlitting greenlit a demolition man sequel which again it's like 20 almost 30 years later like it's a terrible idea uh but also like i could see them doing that as long as long as they thought they could do it under budget like there's there's some actors who were probably maybe a little too expensive to like fit all My first into thought was stallone and snipes oh yeah absolutely they would do it. they've already made a movie together where they were like whatever right. but sandra bullock wouldn't do that i don't think right? so yeah, <laughs> she's yeah. Get, get, give it like five more years she, she's right she's <laughs> right she not to do it <laughs> right yeah, no yeah. absolutely uh yeah at this particular moment she's entirely you know right to to a list uh to sign up for that but i i don't know uh but yeah like i i i would worry that they would bring like they'd bring everybody back to the, like you know and, and it'd be this whole sort of reunion porn uh yeah but that would just be for us right and and we're not the chief demographic like gen z is not gonna go see nick cage she mcbride <laughs> you know i don't see angelina a, jolie signing up for the re, for the redo of this exactly one. and like that's probably your best bet to go cross demographic so right. yeah i i don't i think you got to remake it and honestly with the cast if you cast it right i'd see that fast and the furious has ensured that you can make a vehicular based action movie it doesn't have to be mad max it can just be cool but i do i do think they'd have to rely more on the oceans 11 side to differentiate from a, a Fast and Furious. Otherwise, you're just trying to be Fast and Furious and probably not accomplishing it. But yeah, if you want to just remake this movie as it is with different actors, like I said, depending on the casting, I'd probably see that. And it just make the characters more compelling. Yes. Yeah. 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 We do something every episode, which is a total vanity project, which is uh, we do Gaucho Watch to see if anyone <laughs> from my alma mater, the University of California, Santa Barbara, is involved in any way in the film. <laughs> Uh, I spent entirely too much time 
trying to find something and then and couldn't and then uh texted my college roommate who was our guest on episode two uh matt Polberg, our episode uh on big trouble and asked him if he knew of anything and he said yeah i live on the street in long beach where this was shot <laughs> what and oh so, my God. so literally he lives on the street the one with like the big wall the big brick wall on the side like two-story wall where like some of the the chase scenes were shot uh, thereby fulfilling Gaucho Watch for this episode. <laughs> Since, uh, well, that was easy. <laughs> yeah, so that worked out. Uh, anyway, uh, so I want to move on uh, to one of my favorite segments, which is, uh, especially when we get further and further away from the actual time period of the movie, uh, what has happened to each of these characters and the world in the intervening time, which in this case is 21 years uh, up to present day like how do you see their lives playing out since the end of this story uh in in this time well this was really easy um actually because they're all dead or in prison because they're all so stupid they're all so so stupid so many every every one of these characters is stupid even nicholas cage is stupid like, yeah he's, I'm, I'm sorry yeah he's, they, he's just the smart he's like he's like the zoltan of the nerds was it, was, it, was it Zoltan from the uh, Zoltar? Zoltar. Zoltar from Space Galaxy, whatever that's called. The 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 like like he's he's just the king of of the idiots, right? But he's just mm -hmm. the least dumb idiot. And they make a point. The whole point of the movie is that Nicolas Cage left this life because all of his friends were dying or in prison. They're a team, and they want to. You know, clearly at the end they have the cookout and stuff. And Giovanni Ribisi's not going to stop stealing cars. Are you kidding me? His character's way too stupid to not go right back to the thing that <clears throat> that created the situation for the movie in the first place. They this also they also didn't actually make any money. Like right. they didn't get paid for the <laughs> right. job. So like, they're, they're broke. <laughs> like they're absolutely going straight back to crime. Right. Like they're, what, they're, not, they're not qualified to do anything else, right? Like this is. Like, again, Hell no. Right. And they don't want to do anything else. So Giovanni Ribisi and his crew are dead within two, three years at most of this movie. Uh, and then Nicolas Cage and Angelina Jolie, like they don't stay together. And they are either in debt, they're dead or in prison by the, like in a, maybe a little longer. And he's probably pulled back into something else exactly like this that Ribisi gets him back into. And we just, you know, they should have just hard cut to her, their mother standing over their two graves, just thrown a total curveball in. in the That's, middle of the uh, credits. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, just, just the Animal House style, like, 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 <laughs> like the closing credits that were like freeze frames on, on each character. Mm -hmm. And it's like Giovanni Ribisi is dead. Right. Uh, Angelina Jolie is dead. Yeah. Uh, well, well Patton suckles the teat of whatever new crime lord comes to town, and that eventually gets his head cut off and his ears sent to his family. Like, it, it's none of them are smart enough to survive any longer than the movie allows them to. Will, do you have anything to add? <laughs> I, okay, so I will say one thing where I think that it's entirely likely that Giovanni Ribisi is probably quietly masturbating onto the floor of a Mazda. Oh, you mean in the future? In the future. I see. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. We're, do, we're doing 10 years thing. And I, uh, he hasn't heard from Nick Cage in about 10 years, but Nick Cage has stopped fucking Angelina Jolie five years before that? Yeah, if they're, if they're not... I mean, they're if they're not divorced, they're just broken up. Like, yeah, I don't know if they yeah. actually bothered to have like a backyard. Stare. So basically, every, everyone is probably a transformer now. 
<laughs> yeah, like uh, I, I think it would be great if except with jizz. Keanu Reeves knockoff is the only survivor of this entire group because he's like, yeah, all I did was order the pizzas and they made fun of me for that. But guess what? It was the only I was the only one of us with a job that was legal. But he fucked up and got the car with the heroin in it. So no. Yeah, but he's, he's automatic. No. He's also a coward. He's, he just crawls out the doggy door of a back. Did he door. turn into cocaine? <laughs> I like you know what real quick the the character it's a no it's a no the Justin most, the a most no. understated character of the movie is Robert Duvall's wife who has maybe one line but her and in, her intentions everything she wants and everything her character is about comes through in the looks she gives the hand gestures she makes she, she that was she's in like one to two scenes and she nailed it and she's she's an actress I've seen in other movies where she had actual dialogue and stuff. She is she is good, but I just wanted to mention that that like her whole thing of like that they're, they're clearly like oh you don't like that Nicholas Cage is here trying to bring your husband back into the life he left behind at your urging, and she pulls that off with barely a line in the movie, and I just wanted to salute that. Yeah, we, you know we talk about this a lot, but that like there are often characters that are right, like like the whole world is is completely insane and wrong and then there's like this one side character that's right that's like no no this is all crazy and they're treated like the crazy person like i mean that, yes. that's a that, that happens a lot and like right she's like uh this is a terrible idea <laughs> like, <laughs> you're an old ass retired man with like your own business and you want to hang out with these fuck ups and like help them like to what end literally literally everything works out as well as could reasonably be expected mm -hmm. And they're still probably wanted by the police and Absolutely. don't have any more money for it. Right? Yeah. Like, yep. They're not any better off than they were when they started. Nope. But they have each other. They have family. <laughs> it's about they family. Don't, but they don't even do I mean, they don't even really do that, though, like, ham it up the way that, like, Fast and the Furious does. You know, they don't even, like, really sell it, like, like well, we're family above everything and we're family. Like, they don't, they don't even really bother with that. Well, they let Angelina Jolie suck the ketchup off nerd guy's <laughs> finger. Well, that's pretty. That's pretty familial, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't Why did she do that? I really, <laughs> nobody knows. I really liked his arc too, by the way. I really want to go with you guys. You can't come with us. I'm gonna go with you. I've been shot. <laughs> <laughs> the wife is Frances Fisher, who is in. But yeah, you were mentioning she's in Titanic. She's, mm -hmm. she's in the in Expanse. If you're an Expanse fan, uh, yeah, right. She's she had a long and storied career, and she right, she gets about <laughs> 35 seconds of screen time. I, I don't know if this was intentional or not, but the the license plate on on the Eleanor car was Lynn, is L Y N, and three numbers like Eleanor, like Lynn. I, I don't know if that was intentional, if that's just haphazard. Uh, <clears throat> and I just appreciated directorially when they're running from the gang that's shooting them and they jump over the chicken coop and the shotgun goes into the chicken coop and, and, and they, they, they do a shot reverse <laughs> shot and you just see this explosion, this oh, Randy feathers, Johnson yeah. pigeon-like explosion of feathers, which is incredible. That like, looks pretty great. Like someone took the time to set that specific shot up and it I appreciate that for it. Punched a pillowcase full of feathers and then ran out of the shot. <laughs> <laughs> um, so at one point, uh, Nick Cage said there's a local Starbucks. Wait, when is this? Nicholas Cage says we went to the local Starbucks as opposed to just Starbucks. 
<laughs> which sounds like the funniest thing ever right now. Starbuck <laughs> is so ubiquitous. All right, well, we must answer the question that uh, fuels this podcast as we go back and rewatch movies, which is, Justin, do you still like this movie? Um, I think if we're defining like by I don't dislike it, uh, I'll say I'll say yes. I'll say it's a movie that if uh, if I was with a couple of friends and we were under the influence of something and we were just watching it, it would be a fun movie to have a conversation like this about. It's definitely tolerable, but I can't say that if I was in the middle of something and I saw it come up on TV that I'd stop and watch it again. So like objectively, probably not, but under the right circumstances, yes. Well, I think it's exactly stupid enough to be a movie that I would watch. Yeah, I I mean it's calorie free. It's shallow as hell. Like mm. uh, like it is, you know, it's undeveloped in so many ways, but it's perfectly rewatchable like like after it's been 20 years or whatever. Like, yeah, it's like, not it's, it's not dated. Yeah, when well, I appreciated that like it's it's not so obvious. It doesn't hit the beats so obviously. Like you know things are going to work out, but like I didn't remember exactly how it ended. Like I was like, "Oh yeah, like like they have this i forgot that like all three of them end up in this you know the the, the police officer the the good guy the bad guy end up in this situation i i didn't remember that it sort of sorted itself out that way like i i just it, which is good like it wasn't so formulaic that like i i was like well i know exactly how this ends mm-hmm. it, which i appreciate that in in a sort of a popcorn flick that if it at least is enough of a change up on like the the ways that these things always end that that i didn't remember specifically how it ended yeah, like I can. Yeah, I also didn't remember. I feel like I knew that they get back to like the cookout at the end, but um, the actual, you know, climactic ending, I, I did not. I did not recall that. But yeah, I, and that's what I mean. Like the Delroy Lindo character could have just been somebody who is there to provide that third part of the triangle at the end. But they cut to him a lot. He's in the movie a lot. You know, he's a full. He's a full ass character. Yeah, he's great. He's great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks so much again for joining us. Uh, you're welcome back anytime if you think of another movie that uh, that you like to, like, like to rehash. Um, he is Justin Clue uh, and Will Vitka. I'm Noah Frank, and we will see you all next week. I Think I Like This Movie is created by Noah Frank and hosted by Noah Frank and Will Vitka. Editing by Will Vitka. All music on the show, unless otherwise noted, provided courtesy of the South County All-Stars. Copyright 2021.